0: If we haven't met yet, my name is Pastor Kim Taff. I'm one of the executive pastors at Illuminate Church. And it's an honor uh, for me to get to share the message with you today. It's always an honor to get to share on a Sunday. And we're in a series called The Family. And as I was preparing for the message today, I was thinking about family. And I was thinking about parenting. And my, my memory, my mind went back to a long time ago, at least for me, back about 33 years to the summer of 1988. The summer of 1988 was an exciting time in my life. I had just graduated in May with my degree in accounting, and now I was looking for a job. You, know, you remember that stage of life where you're kind of going on to the next step, and that's where we were at? The Minnesota Twins had just won the World Series for the first time in their team history, and I was very thankful for that. And I know you're as excited about that as I am. <laughs> life was good. Life was exciting. 1988 was an exciting year for me. In the summer of 1988, my wife and I—my uh, wife Heather and I had been married for about two years. We were 22 and 21 years old. I was older. I still am. <laughs> we dated in high school. We got married after my sophomore year of college in 1986. And in 1988, we were living in Decorah, Iowa, about 15 miles from where we grew up. And like I said, I had just graduated from college, from Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. I got my degree in accounting, and I'm ready to take on the world. It was time to get my first real job. And our dream at that time, our goal, was to live and work in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We grew up in farm country, northeast Iowa, and Minneapolis was the nearest big city. It was about three hours away. And back then, to get a job, some of you might remember that, this, but it wasn't easy. It took work. It wasn't the same as it is today. We didn't have monster.com. We didn't have Indeed.com, we didn't have ZipRecruiter.com, we didn't have Anything.com, we didn't have the internet yet, and I know you young people are like, pfft. But we had three things. We had three things to help us get a job. We had the newspaper, we had the U.S. Postal Service, and we had the telephone. Those are the resources we had to find a job. That's what we did. And this is what I did. Back then, I lived in Northeast Iowa, and my aunt lived in a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota, Bloomington, Minnesota, and every week she would take the want ads from the Sunday newspaper and mail them to me. And by about Thursday, I would get those employment, uh, the employment section from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, and I would go through the accounting section, and I would circle jobs I might want to apply for or might qualify for, and I would cross off jobs that maybe they said, previous experience required, or I just wasn't interested in the location or whatever. And then I would take the jobs I was interested in applying to and send them a resume. You'd mail them, print it out on nice paper, fold it just right, handwrite that envelope in your best font, put a stamp on it, and mail it off to Minneapolis. And then all you could do is wait and hope for a phone call to set up an interview. And that's how it worked, and that's what we did. So I started that process of looking for a real job in about June of 88. And by July of 1988, while I was still looking for my first real job, something else exciting happened in our life. Some other exciting news came into our lives. One morning, I woke up after a few hours of sleep because I worked midnight till 4 at UPS unloading trucks in the middle of the night. I did that for two years in my, my junior and senior year of college. And I uh, got home at about 4.30, 5 in the morning. I'd get a few hours of sleep. And one morning I woke up, maybe at about 8.30, and Heather's already sitting on the edge of the bed. She'd been up for a while. And she said, uh, right when I opened my eyes, she said, can we talk? And my first thought is, what did I do? <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm sorry, I apologize. But no, she said, no, it's not that. We need to talk. She said, um, I'm pregnant. We're going to have a baby. And I was like... I'm awake now, uh, okay, yeah, this is good, right, I don't have a job yet, um, yeah, we, okay, good. And the good news is, in August of 88, I got a job, I took an accounting job in a suburb of Minneapolis, we moved to the big city, and I remember my first day of work was August 23rd, 1988, I remember that because that day was our second anniversary, and about six months later, February 19th, 1989, our daughter Caitlin was born. And it was an amazing, incredible, memorable, life-changing event. I remember it well. I think we have a picture of Heather and I that day. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, we were young. Yes, I have Heather's permission to show that picture. (laughs) And yes, that is acne on my chin, okay? I know you were looking at that. But I remember when it was time to take Caitlin home from the hospital, we were both thinking to each other, and I don't know if we said it or just thought it, we were both thinking, I don't think we're qualified to do this yet. I don't, I don't think we're ready for this yet. I, we don't know what to do. We don't know what we're doing. Can't one of the nurses come home with us for a day or two and give us some more coaching and training and, and, and kind of help us for a day or two? I don't think we've had enough training for this yet. And here's what I'll say about it. We didn't know much, but we did know that we didn't know much. We knew for a fact that we were clueless when it came to parenting. I remember we brought Caitlin home from the hospital that that first day to our apartment in Plymouth, Minnesota, and we took her out of her car seat, and we took her out of her snowsuit. it was February, and we laid her on this light blue sofa that we had, and we literally thought, what do we do now? We got her home, she's breathing, so far so good, but we had no idea what to do. We had no clue what we were doing or how to do it, but we did our best. We learned by trial and error, and we were parenting. With little to no training, no skills, no knowledge, all of a sudden we were parenting as best we could. And today we're going to talk about reparenting. The title of this message is Reparenting. How and why to fix some of the mistakes that parents make, that almost all parents make and how the mistakes that parents make intentional or unintentional affect us much later in life, sometimes for the rest of our lives. Some people don't know that a major impact on why we are like we are today as an adult is from the parenting we received. Some people don't realize that a major reason some of us struggle with certain things in life is from the parenting we received when we were very young. Our brains and our minds are mostly wired the way they are today From when we were children. And most of us, or I probably could say all of us, need reparenting, whether we realize it or not. So let me start today with the definition of parenting. I know you have a pretty good idea what it means, but it might be a little bigger or a little broader than what you're picturing. Parenting, the definition, it's a verb, it's action, is the activity of bringing up a child as a parent. To promote and support an individual's physical, emotional, social, and intellectual development. So the point is you can parent someone else even if they're not your biological child and you can be parented from someone else even if they're not your biological parents. And you might be sitting here today and you probably are at this point sitting here today saying, but why would I need reparenting? I am a grown adult. I am not a child anymore. I am 30 years, I'm a grown woman, I'm a grown man, I'm 30 years old, 45 years old, 60 years old, whatever. And I would say this, age doesn't matter. You might not need a parent to take care of you like you used to and make your peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch and pick you up from school and do all those things that parents do, but you might need someone to help reparent Some of the mistakes and wounds we've received in the past. Because all parents make mistakes. No parent is perfect. Because we are all imperfect people. So sometimes intentionally, but most of the time unintentionally, we cause wounds for our children that affect them later in life. And let me say this. Let Let me say this very strongly. Today isn't about blame or shame. Today isn't about focusing on how bad our parents were or about getting upset about the mistakes our parents made, or the mistakes we made as parents. All parents make mistakes. No parent is perfect. Heather and I have four children. They're all grown adults now. They're all married. They're having babies of their own. We have six grandchildren now. And when they were little, when we were raising them up, when they were, when they were in our home, and, we, and, they were, and they were smaller, we loved our kids. We put our family first in our decisions. Family was always very important to us from from that first day. We sacrificed for our kids, and I know we still messed up. We still made a ton of mistakes because no one is perfect. Parents are imperfect. And because we're not perfect, our children live with the effects of those imperfections. So what exactly are we talking about today? What do children need that sometimes they don't receive or they don't get enough of from their parents. Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's look at a few verses about parenting in the Bible and listen. If you are any of the following. If you're any of the following three things. Number 1, if you are a parent. Meaning you have children at home or you have children that are grown and they're on their own, doesn't matter, but you have children. Or two, you are a future parent or a potential future future parent, or you might have children in the future. Or three, you have the opportunity to help parent someone else, pay close attention. Listen close today because I believe God wants you to hear this. Let's start with the book of Matthew, the third chapter, this is the story. Jesus is just starting his ministry. He's 30 years old approximately and he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And in Matthew three, verses 16 through 17, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew First book of the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, or it'll be on the screen. This is what it says. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went, out, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and falling on him. Now listen. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God the Father said three things to Jesus in one sentence, and he said a lot. He said, you are my son. He confirmed his identity. He said, I love you. I want you to know that. And he said, I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. And the two things that a child wants to hear most and needs to hear most from their parents is I love you and I'm proud of you. Those are the two primary things that build up a child's self-confidence the confidence that carries with them into adulthood. So if that's true, we should be saying that all the time. They need to learn to know that I might make mistakes, but I'm loved no matter what. I'm not loved because I do everything perfect or for what I do, but because of who I am and whose I am. Some grown adults are still motivated and still strive to succeed to make their mothers and fathers proud. And it's usually because they didn't hear it or they didn't hear it enough when they were children. And I know some parents feel like, well, I know my kids know it even if I don't say it. They know I love them even if I don't say it. They know I'm proud of them even if I haven't told them. And I say that's deception. That's a trick from the enemy because the enemy wants us living lives wounded and unwhole. We need to tell our kids out loud with our voices every day, over and over and over again, even if they act like they're tired of hearing it, even if they act like they don't care, even if they're grown adults, we need to tell them and speak it, I love you, I'm proud of you. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Because that's what produces emotionally healthy, confident kids who become emotionally healthy adults. Let's look at another verse. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The writer is Paul, and interestingly, Paul is single. Paul is not a parent, but he's writing about parenting to the Thessalonians. And in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians, he says this. He said, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. It's natural for a mother to love and care for her children. It's called nurturing. And that's what children need the most from their mother. Fathers should help too. Fathers are not off the hook. Fathers should love and care for their children. But nurturing is a mother's number one role. And generally, overall, I think mothers do a pretty good job of this role. So what does Paul say about fathers? What does Paul say their role is in parenting? Here's what he says later in the same chapter about what a father does or at least should do for his children. This is verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. He says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with their own children by encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. A father's primary role for his children is three things. Number one is to encourage, which is to add courage. Encourage them to use their God-given gifts and build up their confidence in themselves. Second is to comfort and protect. The kids should know they are safe because their dad is watching out for them and that's important. And third is to urge them to live a life worthy of God, mostly by living that out themselves and then encouraging their kids to do the same thing by modeling it in their own lives. But let me ask you a question. It's a father's responsibility to do those things, but what if? What if? Come on now. What if we didn't get that in our lives? Yeah. What if our father didn't encourage, up, encourage us and build up our self confidence? What if our father didn't comfort and protect and make us know we were safe? What if our father didn't urge us to live a life for God and do, or didn't do that themselves? The answer is then something is missing in us the answer is it can affect our lives today we're not as whole as we should be we're not as secure as we should be we're not as confident as we should be or we're trying to make up for or overcompensate or medicate or cope with what's missing Maybe we didn't even know why we felt insecure or anxious or unwhole or less than or turned to addictions to feel better, but something wasn't given to us like we needed it. And now we need reparenting to get what we didn't get before. About four years ago, I'm 55, so I was about four years ago. I don't remember the exact date, but I went to see a licensed professional counselor for the first time in my 50s. I had never done it. I didn't think I needed it. But I was dealing with stress and uh, just kind of had been a way of life for me for about, well, 50 years. And Pastor Tim said, well, why don't you try seeing a licensed counselor? Maybe it'll help. And I thought, okay. And, okay, I'll try it. And here's what I'll say about it. It did help. I'm glad I went. And I, I would encourage it to anyone. I wish I wouldn't have waited until I was in my 50s. But I remember one week, his homework was about reparenting. And it was the first time I had ever heard that term used. This is what he said. He said, you today, he was talking to me, he said, you today need to give yourself as a child what you needed then. And I said, what? He said, you today need to give yourself as a child what you needed then. And I don't know if it's my analytical brain or I like logic, but I tried to do what he said. I mean, I tried to do everything he said, but it just didn't work. It just didn't make sense. How can I reparent myself? I mean, I was in parenting this invisible kid. I mean, I just didn't get it. But here's what I discovered by doing that. I'm not the best person to reparent myself, but God is. Amen. Only God can do what only God can do, and I am not God. Come here. Here's what I discovered. We need to allow God to reparent us regardless of our age. We need to allow God to give us today what we might not have received then. We need to allow him to expose the lies that we've been believing that affect the way we are, the way we respond to certain things and situations, the beliefs we have about ourselves that aren't healthy. Allow him to replace those lies with the truth. And allow him to encourage you and comfort you and let him heal you. Romans 12.2 in the New Living Translation says this, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That verse is so powerful. That verse is so important. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. First, that verse says, don't be like this world. This world is messed up. Have you figured that out yet? This world is fallen, and it's time is short, and we're nearing the end. But in this world, it's normal to have stress and anxiety. In this world, it's normal to live in fear, especially with all the encouragement we get to live in fear from the media and the government. This world, it's normal to strive for success and money and position and fame, none of which leads to a satisfying life. But we don't have to be like this world. We have an invitation, an offer, to allow God to change us. Romans 12 says, let God. Allow God to transform you. We have to make that choice. God won't do it without our permission. Allow God to transform us into a new person. We don't have to be the same, we don't have to be stuck. Just because we are like we are now doesn't mean we can't change and it doesn't mean our future can't be better than our past. I honestly used to think and I used to believe about myself that I am the way I am stressed because that's how God made me. That's my personality. I used to take personality profile tests, I I enjoy that. And it would say like this and that, well that's just the way I am, that's my personality. I've always been that way. I can't change that. I can't change who I am and how God made me. But what I learned is that the stress part of my life was a lie. It was deception. I was deceived from early on in life to believe that was true about myself. And now I've allowed God to replace the lies I believed with his truth. And I'll tell you this, I have more peace, more rest, and less stress than I ever thought possible. And it wasn't possible without God. Allow God to reparent you, to give you now the things you needed and to make you whole, to heal you, to heal your wounds and to change you. You have to make the decision. You have to allow it to make you a new person. I believe in this series, God is saying to us, I want you to be whole. I need you to be whole. I need the church to be whole. Pastor Tim said, I think it was week one of this series, God said to Pastor Tim, God said, Tim said, what do, you, what do you have to say to me, God? He said, I see whole people, people who are healed, people who are changed, and because God needs that and wants that in our lives, but we have to allow God to reparent us, and that can start today. The second best source of reparenting, not the best, the best source of reparenting is directly from God, but the next best source, in addition to God, is a spirit-filled church, your home church, your church family, people who genuinely care about you, people who will speak life into you, people who will encourage and inspire you and motivate you to live a life for God, which is the only way that leads to a satisfying life. But here's what we need to understand. Here's where the enemy deceives some people or tricks us. The enemy will say, just because I show up to church a few times, I should automatically and immediately be connected and have community and have all my needs met by the church just because I show up. And don't get me wrong, showing up to church is good and it's important, but it's a good start. Authentic community, listen, inside the church body requires an investment on our part, a decision. It requires a decision like a decision to be part of a community group a C group, where we genuinely connect with people in the church outside of Sunday mornings. I have a question for you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but are you in a C group? If you are, then you probably know the value and why it's important. If you're not, why not? Why not choose to make that investment in community? It's worth it, and it's a good investment of our time. Another decision you could make is a decision to be part of a discipleship group, a D group, which is four or five people who meet weekly for one year and share what God is saying to them and doing in, in their lives. I've been part of a D group now and we meet on Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. for about the past nine months. And here's what I discovered. I'll be honest, before when I was asked to be in the discipleship group about nine months ago, my first thought was, I don't really need that. I don't really have time for that. Because I'm on church staff, God and I were pretty good, we're fine, I'm okay, I'm doing fine, God and I were close. Why commit the time to a D group? And what I'll say now, after being in a D group for about nine months, what I didn't know then that I know now is that I can be closer to God. I thought I was close, but now I'm closer, and it's better, and I'm glad I did it. And this group of guys, a couple of who I really didn't know very well when we started, over the weeks and months become like family. And here's how I'd summarize it. This is, this is just something I've experienced. If you choose to be part of a C group and a D group, is this. Relational equity equals permission. Relational equity equals permission. Let me explain that a little bit. Relational equity is a term I think I made up but it means relationship that you've invested into over time. Equity is a term that means amount invested. Like if you own a home, you might have equity. Or if you own a business, you have equity. It's the cumulative amount invested over time. And having relational equity time invested together leads to permission. Permission to be real with no masks. If someone in our D group had a rough week, we expect them to say, I had a rough week. Not, I'm good, everything's great, God is good, God is good. But when we say, I'm good, it means I'm good. And if we say, if we had a stressful week, we say, I had a stressful week. Because we have permission to be real and open and honest with each other. And relational equity gives us permission to speak the truth to each other. When we speak the truth of what someone needs to hear, not always what they want to hear, it's because we genuinely care about each other and we want the best for each other. And because we have enough relational equity, we have permission to speak the truth in love, and we know that it's because we do care that we speak the truth. We would rather speak the truth in love than see a person continually live in defeat or in a pit or not whole. And when we do that, we're actually reparenting each other and giving each other what a parent needs to give to their children that they love. We comfort each other when we need it. We encourage each other to do what God's calling us to do. We urge each other to live a life worthy of God's calling on our lives, and we model it to each other. We live it out. So let me ask you a question. Who in your life, someone who is a solid, mature follower of Christ, do you have enough relational equity with to be real with? And who in your life has permission to be honest and speak the truth to you? If the answer is no one, that's a big red flag. That's a dangerous place to be. We all need to hear the truth about ourselves sometimes. We all have blind spots that we can't see or we can't fix by ourselves. And we need people who know us enough and care about us enough to speak the truth to us about our lives and our decisions and our actions. And from my experience, discipleship groups are the best place for relationships like that to happen. So let me close with, with this today. Maybe you're here today and you haven't taken the first step yet. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure you've ever asked God to be your father. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God your Father yet, or you might not even know what that means to have a relationship with God. Maybe you're not sure your sins are forgiven. Maybe you're not sure you'll spend eternity with God in heaven. Maybe you're thinking there's no way to even be sure, and I'll tell you, yes, there is. You can be sure. You can be sure today, and you can be sure right now. I wasn't sure until September 15, 1998. I said a prayer like I'm going to lead us through in just a second. And I made a decision, and now I'm sure it changed me. I'm going to lead a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to just repeat it and say it back to me and give you the opportunity to be sure today. Be sure that God is your Father. Be sure that your sins are forgiven. So let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads just to be in a posture of prayer and repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I need you I want you to be my father father today I accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior I receive Jesus as the Redeemer for my sins I confess with my mouth that he is Lord Jesus is Lord Father, today I become part of your family. I am your child. You are my father. In Jesus' name, amen. All heads still down. If you prayed that prayer with me today, maybe you prayed it for the first time and received Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you did it before, but you've been distant from God and you know it and he's calling you back. And you want to recommit and be closer to him. You want to rededicate your life to him today. If that's you, either you prayed that for the first time or you're rededicating your life today. When I count to three, just raise your hand right where you're at. That's all you need to do. Just let me know you prayed that prayer to me with me today. One, two, three. Just raise your hand and let me know. Also, before we close today, I know many of you, some of you, if not all, have wounds. You're not living life as whole as it could be or should be by God's design for your life. God has great plans for you in your life, but the enemy wants to steal and kill those plans. Some of you have had things spoken over you that negatively impacted you hurtful things, mean things, words of rejection, words of criticism words of abandonment, words of discouragement, words that tore you down. You've had words spoken over you out of, out of anger or uncaring words, and they hurt. And our brain goes into protection mode and pro- programs itself to not allow those words to hurt us again in the future, and we put up walls. Or they turn into beliefs that we believe about ourselves, even if they're not true some of us is not just the wrong words or negative words that were spoken over us it's the positive words that weren't spoken over us that affected our lives the most and who we are and how we are today maybe you didn't have a parent say i love you no matter what maybe you didn't have a parent say i'm so proud of you and who you are maybe you didn't get spoken over you that you can do anything and be anything because god is for you and he has great plans for your life Either way, if you had words spoken over you that hurt you, or you had words not spoken over you that you needed to hear, I think if we were honest, it would be almost all of us here today. But here's the good news. God has a better word. The three most powerful things I know, the three most powerful things that exist are the word of God, the name of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus. Those are three powerful things that no enemy can stand up against no stronghold can remain strong against the blood of Jesus is what covered our sins the blood of Jesus is what defeated the enemy and the blood of Jesus can change your life today so we're going to close with a song we sang earlier but we're going to declare that before we stand in worship though let me pray over you just pray with me one more time heavenly father thank you that you love us so much Thank you that you love us for who we are, not just what we do. Father God, today we give you permission to change us, to renew our minds, to change the way we think and to change our lives. God, we give you permission to reparent us starting today. God, today we also choose to forgive our earthly parents. Only you are perfect. We're we're not and you are. So we choose to forgive. For all hurts, all words, all mistakes, we let it go. God, we let you heal the wounds today and change the words spoken over us today. Father God, replace the lies with your truth. Replace the hurts with your comfort. Give us everything we need as your children because we know you are the perfect Father and we trust you. Father, we ask you to do all these things in the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus, and everyone said amen. Let's stand and worship before we leave today.